Hello, Eastern Nazarene College. My name is Dave Sharps, and it's a real privilege to have a chance just to share a little bit with you today. I want to invite your attention to a portion of scripture that's found in Mark chapter 8. Now, in these verses, we find Jesus in what will be after his final boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, coming to the shore and encountering what Jesus always seems to encounter, that is a crowd of people. Among them, the Bible says, is a guy that was born blind. Now, I got to tell you, I have preached this passage and heard, I don't know how many sermons on this story, usually concluding that part of what's going on here is one of many of the coming demonstrations of Jesus' lordship that provides us just a little bit of a glimpse of the restorative work of the coming of the kingdom of God in our world. And though I tell you, I have to admit that while that is absolutely true, there are a couple of other things that grabbed my attention this time. One was in verse 25 that you'll hear in a moment, which said that the man's sight was restored, which meant he was regaining something that had been earlier lost. And in the last verse of this particular portion of scripture, it says when Jesus tells the man not to go back to the town, well, that likely means that the man was told, don't go back to where you once had been. Don't return to the same place. But instead, I want you to go and live a new way with the new life that you've been given. So listen, if you will, with me to the words from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into that village. Now, maybe the most recognized symbol in all of the medical community, but especially in your optometrist office is, well, this chart. Well, let me show it to you, you'll recognize it. It's called the Sullen chart. It's the chart that you've seen over and over again if you've had your eyes examined. Herman Snellen was a Dutch ophthalmologist in the 1800s, yet his work survives even to this day. You've seen this chart probably somewhere before. Now, I'm sure all of us have heard the phrase, having perfect 20-20 vision. That's a numeric reference depicting how well you can see objects from a distance of 20 feet compared with, so with someone who has perfect vision looking at the same object at 20 feet. That the fraction of how well you see is called visual acuity. This means that the smallest line on the eye chart that you read at 20 feet can be read by someone with perfect vision who is standing 100 feet away. Now the guy in our story, Mark 8, goes from being completely blind, that is what we're told in the story, to low visual acuity to, as the Bible describes him, seeing everything clearly. It was what might you, call, you might call a, a progressive work of restoration or healing for the man. Now, we have 
two kids in my family. One's named, my oldest is Jonathan, my only son, and Hannah's our second child and our daughter. When Jonathan was just a little guy, the preschool teacher called us as he was ending preschool in the final week after several years of being in preschool before he went to kindergarten and said, you know, I've been kind of watching Jonathan recently and I think you might want to have his eyes checked out of the ophthalmologist, the optometrist. And so we did that. We took him to the optometrist, actually a really good friend of mine, and, and he sat there and examined Jonathan, a kid who had always colored in between the lines, always seemed to be able to notice things in the room around him. But as the optometrist examined him, he finally looked at me, his friend, and said, Dave, I got to tell you, this is the most far-sighted kid I've ever seen in my life. My son's vision was 2,400. Now, technically, while he is farsighted, the truth is, as the optometrist said to me, he's really never seen a clear world, clear images, your face and that of your wife very clearly in his entire life. I got to tell you, as I walked out of that office door and, and drove home and eventually told my wife, not only did we weep at our ignorance and foolishness as parents when we thought about, well, we really deserve the, the Parent of the Year Award, but we also determined there was something that we now needed to do about that. You know, there are a lot of reasons for a lack of visual acuity in the world around us. Some of the most common defects in vision are things like myopia, that's nearsightedness. That is, our perspective is so myopic that our vision is not shaped by the kingdom that is coming in spiritual terms, because sometimes we can get stuck in the fear of problems or what's right around us instead of looking with vision and hope to the future and the kingdom that God is breaking into this world. There's also hyperopia, that is farsightedness. So for many of the folks that I've been around in church for many, many years, it seems like they can be so heavenly minded that sometimes it's as if they're no earthly good. That is a lack of spiritual visual acuity that's so desperately needed in the world today. And then there's presbyopia. Now that's farsightedness that's caused by a loss of, they call that this elasticity of the lens over time. But what happens here is we have folks that have trouble making a mind shift. That over years they believe, believed and seen or heard things in such particular ways that even as the world around them changes, they're not able to shift by taking the never changing gospel and applying it to an ever changing world. And then of course you may be familiar with the phrase astigmatism. That, that's a blurred vision that comes from a misshaped lens. We only see things in a way, one way, a particular way that often needs to be corrected. And when that correction is comes and it's given, we can see the world with the clarity that we were supposed to see when our vision is set right. But whatever the issue, it is in spiritual terms, a rhythm of the part of the now and not yet coming kingdom of God. And that kingdom calls us to live as missional people in the world. And, and even though sometimes we might be farsighted or tend to be nearsighted or have an astigmatism, God, by his Holy Spirit, wants to bring a correction to our hearts and 
to our lives so that the world that we see, we see with the eyes of Jesus. In fact, you've never locked eyes with anyone, no matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done, that don't matter completely and totally to Jesus. The good news is this, that the God who restores us is the God who patiently and lovingly wants to do a new thing. If we could only see it, if we could only receive it, he prophetically says, from about to do something new in the book of Isaiah. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Are your eyes so far-sighted, near-sighted, misshaped that you can't see that I'm making a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers even in this dry and weary race, wasteland in which we're living? You know, in this time of so much unrest in our country from the COVID pandemic, from the incredible divisiveness in our political climate and this horrific season of racial unrest that's exposed racism as we as a country, as a people have pulled back the gauze that's tried to cover over this disease that's been manifesting and, and getting darker and, 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 and more painful in our world. Somewhere in the distant echoes of the coming kingdom of God, even amid the unrest and the protests and the hard work that's being done, we have looked for a ray of hope amid the blindness of the systemic racism that for hundreds of years has infected our land, okay, has infected the church, okay, has affected our hearts and exposed just how warped our vision for others has become when we're left on a sin-filled and course and, and not called to live in righteousness and peace and justice in the corrective vision ways of the work of the kingdom of God. And so when this summer, a few of my friends, some of my family members and more than a few parishioners in my own church urged me to stop talking about racism and start preaching the gospel, I realized just how nearsighted, how farsighted, how blurred, how misshaped our understanding of the good news, how evangelism of the gospel had become. How much we needed correction, how much we needed healing, how much we needed a, a renewed vision of what the kingdom of God was all about that seated in a biblical call to be those who live in and are shaped by and, and called to courageously proclaim the breadth and the depth and the height of the good news of the gospel, the, the shalom, the peace of God for our world. A world in which, when the kingdom's right, that no one's missing and no one's left out. A world where, where no one is left broken who is not embraced and lovingly being healed. You see, the church ought to be that proclamation in the world. A place where everyone can belong, including those who may not even yet believe. The church ought to be that place of shalom. It ought to be the safest place on the earth. In my spare time, I work with a group called Churches in Action, whose ministry comes out of the metropolitan region of Frankfurt, Germany. It's not as much an organization as it truly is a movement that that's coming, I believe, to America to help us to reshape our minds and our imaginations as America becomes more and more post-Christian as we begin to rethink 
what it means to bring the never-changing gospel to an ever-changing world and what it truly means for us to be people of righteousness and love and peace and justice who are truly living as salt and light in the world. It's a gospel that calls us to proclaim the good news, and it's something that's, that's caught before it's even taught. It calls us to live in a way of love that is, that is so much bigger than just a moralistic list of how to think and how to live at the intersection of what we'll call the world and the church. It's a call and a movement that invites us to engage across what I call in my teaching three bridges, three bridges of reconciliation with God and with others in our world. The first bridge is, is pretty obvious and I think simple, but it's simply called the relational bridge, where without any agenda, we simply love people in the radical way that Jesus loved. It doesn't begin in trying to get someone saved or to attend our church or even to believe what we believe in the way in which we believe it. Instead, it's rooted in the overwhelming, never-ending, the song says, reckless love of God that flows out to our neighbors. It meets people in their pain. It finds people in their brokenness and their loneliness and, and it exercises the gift and the grace and the good news of hospitality that welcomes them into our space and walks with them in the journey of our life together. There's a second bridge that's, that's becoming a growing challenge for us today, but, but it's a bridge over, believe I believe, that can be reconstructed for us in these days as the church. It's a bridge that carries a lot of baggage with the evangelical church and evangelical Christianity today. It's a bridge of renewal. And in this political season, just to be honest with you, I think the church has been exposed in its foolish attempts at a culture grab, power grab rather, in the world around us instead of being renewed in the way of Jesus to lay down our lives for other people. It's the bridge of relationship. It's the bridge of kingdom Jesus renewal. And it's honestly, it's the bridge I often imagine that we sometimes misunderstand, but it's the good news of evangelism. It's a place that still proclaims that the forgiveness of sin, the Lordship of Christ, and the utter dependence upon the grace and the mercy of God that's sealed and shared in the waters of baptism is what changes hearts and empowers our lives to be more than conquerors through him that loves us so much through the mercy and the power, not on what we can do or who we are, but what God has done in his resurrection power for each and every one of us. The remedy is still the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Well, our son's name, as I said, is Jonathan. And as you might imagine, we eventually got Jonathan the corrective lenses that Jonathan needed. And those lenses, well, when he put them on, he looked like, like that. That's Jonathan, the little guy with the Coke bottle lens glasses. We got him the lenses that he needed. And when the doctor put them on, and when that farsightedness and actually even his nearsightedness, and he's got an astigmatism, the misshape of his eye, began to find correction. The world that he was intended to see and the way in which he was intended to see it 
began to become clear, but he had to receive the correction. I remember when he put those little glasses on and talk, I talk about a moment for a parent when for the first time your son riding in the car looks up at a tree and talks about the leaves. He didn't know they were individual leaves. He thought it was just one big green cluster on the top of a darker stem. When he got out of the car, he walked up to our brick house. He put his little finger in between the bricks and began to run it across. He didn't know there was a differentiation of mortar in between the bricks that were there. When he saw what he saw, he just saw it as one red, red wall in front of him. His depth perception began to change. And one night as a dad, I'll never forget it. As he took his little finger and he traced the lines on my face as if he'd never really seen me, his dad, as he was supposed to have for the last six years of his life before. You see, my hope during this Lenten season is that God will continue to hone and by his grace and mercy clarify and as needed for me and for the church and for the people of God to correct our vision so that we can see the world and others in our world as God sees us. My prayer is that the church, having been awakened, I believe, will now have opportunity to work into that space of reconciliation, that what has been lost can be renewed, what has been misshaped can be rehoned, what has been missing can now be rediscovered. And as the kingdom of God, again, the shalom of God breaks into our world, nothing missing, nothing broken. And again, that kingdom of restoration can be found. That a man and woman's sight can be restored. And what had been earlier lost by what we had thought we'd understood before can be regained and reshaped by God. And that space, as hard and messy as it may be, even as it's been walked out during the season, so much unrest around us, unrest around us that it can indeed be restored. And that we'll hear the words of Jesus to those of us that are seeking his healing and finding it one bit at a time, one correction at a time. That we'll not go back to our old town where we used to sit as beggars. But we'll go back to a new space and a new place. Having found a renewed vision of the kingdom of God. And that in that encounter with Jesus Christ and has bribed the church, our hearts and our lives can be restored. My prayer for you and for me is that in his grace and mercy that God will make it so. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing with my friends today. Hundreds and hundreds of miles away from me, dear God, gathered all around. But I pray, dear God, in this time that you renew our hearts and our minds for the work that you want to do, for the bridge of relationship, for the bridge of renewing us to your kingdom come, and for the renewal, dear God, of the building of relationships to call people to have the image of God, what has been marred by sin, restored by grace and in your mercy. Help us to be about that work and to follow you with all that we are, being honest open, patient with one another, bearing with one another, and following after you. In the name of the Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.